1: hello there internet welcome back to another episode of real psych i am dr jd barton and i am a licensed clinical psychologist
2: and i am dr joanna whitkin and i am a cognitive neuroscientist
1: real psych is a new podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies
2: hey jd will there be learning yep will there be science yep Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyway?
1: Oh my god, I'm so glad you asked. Yes.
2: <laughs> Every time I do that, it's it's just a shot in the dark. It's in my fingers.
1: Listen, in your fingers is all any, any one of us can do these that days.
2: That's so true.
1: So true. So true. How you doing?
2: I am good. I'm having this... This is, uh, we're recording on a Sunday. I'm having, like, Sunday scaries, and yeah, it's just, it's so basic, like, I just, it's boring, you know, but here we are.
1: Yeah, I mean, same. I had Sunday scaries yesterday, weirdly, because I I
2: woke up this morning thinking it was Monday and freaked out, so that's, I hate that.
1: Oh, dang. Don't love that for you. No, not fun. Not fun. Thrilled it wasn't me. (laughs) Relieved. Yeah. TBQH. Yeah, no, I, uh, yesterday was very lazy and I guess started to feel guilty or anxious. I don't know. There's, like, a million reasons to be anxious. So it's I,
2: like I know. Like, I literally was trying to pinpoint the feelings I had today and all I could describe it was just dread. I just yeah. felt dread. Um,
1: yes. Uh, yeah, was... I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I've... Listen, Dread is real. It's in the air. Yeah, there needs it, to be it, more songs about Dread. You know what I should. mean? We get songs about joy and sadness and love. Even some like songs about anger. But we need some good songs about Dread.
2: And like non-specific Dread.
1: We should write some like a whole Dread <laughs> album. We could call our band Dread.
2: We, yeah.
1: And sure. and it'll. and
2: But it should be like J-R-E-A-D. Dread. Because uh, our names are J. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> our names are J. <laughs> and it'll like the first album will just be called "Waiting for the Other Shoe to Drop."
2: <laughs> <laughs> the second album will be Sunday Scaries.
1: Truly, and yeah. the third album will be called "Title forthcoming." Because <laughs> 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 we just couldn't pick one because we were Could've, too anxious. Too, yeah. We should name our, like our fourth album like afraid of the sophomore slump and people will be like you guys have already done like five
2: <laughs> we're just afraid that it could happen at any moment even though we have proven ourselves it still could be taken away at yeah. any moment
1: yeah yeah truly
2: that's my brand
1: yeah anxieties <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, oh, anywho. aren't we
1: relatable aren't we just <laughs> so human
2: so human.
1: Yeah. So speaking Absolutely. of humans, I bet there's some in the movie you picked.
2: Funnily enough, no, there are humans. <laughs> that would be so imagine? funny. Actually. I like, it's Finding Nemo. Um, No. <laughs> 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 it is uh, not Finding it's Nemo, that, spoiler alert.
1: Yeah, sa- Sausage Party, that like Seth Rogen movie about just like grocery oh, foods. Oh my
2: goodness, that I couldn't even get through.
1: No, I didn't even start it. I didn't try it. It's That's like, like not- a funny...
2: It's a funny, it's too long for a short film.
1: Speaking of movies that are, like, not for us. Yeah. (laughs) We don't, neither one of us has a powerful enough relationship with cannabis to make a movie like that, like, really click for us. I know. I know. You gotta have a strong one.
2: Despite trying, in order to fit in, like, watching the Pineapple Express with, like, a bunch of my friends (laughs) from home and falling asleep and being like, I loved it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: that is such a specific like flashbulb <laughs> memory for you <laughs> that I can just like see yep. like a 23 year old you being like yeah it's so funny man <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's not not what happened
1: right yeah totally totally Anywho anywho um
2: okay so this movie that I chose this week is from
1: 1999. okay um we're really li- living for this era
2: I know. Stunted
1: it's, development
2: i don't want to like spoil anything what i'll say is i chose this movie because i want to talk about a specific thing and this movie kind of fit that okay like, well known all right so the tagline is work sucks
1: office space
2: yeah yeah office space. <laughs> <laughs> talking about movies that aren't quite for us um but, this one you know, feels a
1: little more for us but also I yeah. mean this is very like white guy comedy of the late 90s
2: it's Mike judge Beavis and Butthead of Beavis and Butthead oh, and King of the hill totally um, I mean he's brilliant but it's like
1: yeah, yeah I remember liking this movie when I saw it do you know the one dude who does the like have you seen my stapler like that yeah. guy? Is like He's one of the most incredible character actors Stephen of all time. Root. Yeah. On, He's in Barry. In, I was just going to say, Barry. Yeah. He is like so Fantastic. unbelievable. And the fact that it's the same guy blows my mind. He is incredible on Barry. Y'all, yeah. listeners, if you have not seen Barry on HBO, I think the third season is like in process or in like. End of April. Is when it drops. Yeah. Like the season's coming out. Yes. Ugh. This show is unbelievable. Anyways, back to office space. Sorry.
2: Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I I don't know. I hesitated because I'm like, uh, yeah, because I guess it's like I don't relate with any of the protagonists, <laughs> but I mean, relate like or see myself. right. Yeah. And feel represented. I mean, this but movie do is relate. beloved.
1: People do love yeah. this movie. I also think it'll be interesting. I mean, I've learned so much in the last few years about like the way in which capitalism informs i mean it's this, this sounds stupid but like the ways in which our work is informed by capitalism i don't think i really understood in the same totally. way I that mean, i have really started to and this movie i think really does start that conversation it didn't start the absolutely conversation, certainly no, didn't start it but
2: captures it
1: captures it and really like sits in that so i'm really excited to go back and well, i haven't seen this since college i don't think
2: yeah i um which is at least I five really... years ago <laughs> I wanted to talk about the great resignation and oh, yeah. who have been told that you can be anything you want and be yes. overwhelmed with possibility and opportunity in a you know, privileged way, right? Like but having the pressure that our jobs and careers should define our identity. Um, because totally. like we're told that we can be whatever we want, thus our decisions to and be what we want to be should be our identity. and, yeah, to and the pressure that into, to yeah. do
1: something you're passionate about is exactly. also like deeply toxic exactly. and dark. Yeah.
2: So I think that's what I want to talk about next week. And so this movie really, again, like captures that so well. Um, so I'm excited.
1: Okay. You know what? Yeah. Maybe I'll dust off some of my, um, you know, in order to get licensed for as a clinical psychologist, you have to take this huge exam called the EPPP uh the examiner examination for professional practice in psychology and mm. a huge section of what you need to know like 12 percent of that test is industrial organizational psychology which is like hr oh,
2: fascinating. which yeah, like yeah. you
1: don't learn in grad school there's all this random right. psychology stuff that you there's a like a lot that like you kind of learn like social psych that um you're like oh yeah i took a class or two of that and like that but like you just have this section on industrial organizational psychology that's like type x and type y leaders it's so random and i remember being furious while studying for Mm. this exam last year. Uh, so maybe I'll dust off some of that knowledge that I had that I was forced to learn and will never use again. But maybe this is the second time I'll use it.
2: I'll for for this. TBD, we'll find out in
1: in about 30 seconds everybody's gonna find out whether I actually (laughs) chose to do this or not.
2: Yeah. Sounds good. Let's get to it.
1: Let's get to it. See you in a minute. (laughs) See you in a minute. Bye. We are back we are
2: back we watched we this are movie.
1: back we did um
2: it was like very pleasantly short i feel like
1: yeah it's less than 90 I minutes know. long i love
2: that that was my it's favorite a quick part.
1: little that <laughs> <laughs> no i mean like this movie is beloved oh it's good i i, I get this i get why people love this movie um i, love this I like movie. this movie yeah it um it's an awakening in a lot of ways i remember like and watching it now as somebody who, like, has now worked.
2: Well, that's, like, I don't think I've yeah. seen it
1: since, I had since like, before I was, like, a 40-hour-a-weeker.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's um, kind of funny, like, how much I referenced it or, like, heard about, you know, like, memes and stuff when I had no idea. Yes. Like, I had fully no idea. And now it's, like, I yes. feel it in a way that it feels very accurate. Also, there's a main character named Joanna, which I love.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah that's fine.
2: We've had a JD <laughs> and a Joanna now.
1: That's right. Yeah. Look at us. We're thriving.
2: <laughs> I feel so seen and represented. This know. is representation.
1: This is representation. I mean, we've selected 100% we've, of the yeah, films yeah. that have been in, in picked, yeah. but sure. Yeah, I think this is uh, absolutely it. representation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. Should we do a little yes. synopsis? Yeah. Uh, this is Mike Judge, so this is the Beavis and Butthead. Uh, right this is mike judge
1: uh classic so there's some fun
2: kind of comedy in here but um yeah so it opens pete i forget his last name pete something um ron livingston the main character ron
1: livingston i was gonna say burger jack burger but that's his sex in the city name oh
2: yeah (laughs) the post-it guy right (laughs)
1: The post yeah, that He broke it. up okay. with Carrie on a post Pete something. You know what? Let's just me. talk about that. Let's just talk about his arc on Sex in the City. Ooh,
2: yes, I could do that. Uh,
1: um, yeah. So Jack Berger works at Office Space. He
2: works, he works at, at Initech. Initech. The the beginning scene with the um traffic, with like going yeah. into the different lanes. I was like, oh, I've now experienced that. I'm watching this like as an adult has yeah, experienced that. Yeah. The crawl. Yeah. The crawl
1: of traffic. So um,
2: he, what he does is he updates. Um bank software because they've yes. only uh they like took a shortcut and so they instead of nineteen ninety eight they have ninety eight and so when the year two thousand hits that was like that whole y two k thing where the y two k banks would explode because they his job is so specific
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so
2: there's t p s reports um but basically you can see this guy like really hates his job is is burnt out like just, the most
1: corporate yeah. the mo- he works in cubicle, a cubicle yeah. yeah everyone around him is uh so mundane you know what everybody around him reminds me of uh have you seen um what we do in the shadows the TV show yes everybody around him is uh my is what's his name uh the the yeah, yeah, yeah. energy vampire no, yeah everybody around him is an energy vampire totally being so dull
2: yeah it's
1: except not him
2: right right
1: because he gets it yeah
2: well sort of I think he is like he's aware that he's mundane, and I think that bothers him. I mean, there's even, like, yes. some talk about, you know, like, like uh, he's like, I hate my job, and, like, you know, I just, everyone else seems fine, and, like, you know, I'm the one that's not, like, something's wrong with me or whatever, and and I think it was Jennifer Aniston, she's like, everybody hates their job, like, what, get over, you know, like, he, he's not the only yes. person.
1: She's kind of the voice of reason, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, she's really lovely. She hates her job, too. Yeah. Um, so he... Yeah, so he works at Intertech. He hates his job. He has two friends at work. One is named Michael Bolton. Yeah,
2: yeah and Samir. And Samir. Some last name that His they- boss
1: is a nightmare. They really set the stage for how much his life is a nightmare that in the very first scene at work is like, hey, you got to use these cover sheets on the TPS report. And he's like, oh, I'm really sorry. I got the memo. I just forgot. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, you really got to use those, though. You got to use these cover sheets. And he's like, right. And they're like, "You. it's important that you use them and just really leaning on him and then like three different people are like hey yeah he has like a lot really got to use these cover sheets a lot of
2: oversight a lot of micromanaging um, yeah i thought a it ton. was funny though cuz like even his friends michael bolton and samir were like hey what happened with the cover sheets man like they hadn't yeah. heard about it um, yeah totally so yeah so you they set this up as, like he is not happy here he has a girlfriend Or he's trying to make it work with this woman who uh, wants to take him to a hypnotherapist.
1: Yeah, Uh, she's really intense. He thinks she's cheating on her. I mean, she's the definition of, like, shrill. Like, just, like, all the ways that we're supposed to not like women who have opinions. Yeah,
2: she barely is in the movie. She
1: exists as antagonist.
2: Um, She's purely a plot device. But... Anyway, so he goes to this hypnotherapist. He gets hypnotized. And the hypnotherapist dies in the middle of...
1: And he's hypnotizing him to feel relaxed. Yeah. He's hypnotizing him to feel content and pleasant and happy and non-worried. And he says, when I snap my fingers, you'll come out of that. And then he dies before he can snap his fingers.
2: And... uh Pete remains very unconcerned with, with everything and kinda of goes home. And yeah. you can see the next day is a Saturday, his boss asked him to come in. He decides to Told just him. not do it. Yeah. All of these... I'm gonna
1: need you to come in on Saturday. Yeah.
2: That's like a very famous meme. Um yeah. if you could do that, that would be great. Uh mm. but yeah, the other one too that I forgot was from this movie. It was like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs>
1: Yes. Do you know what? Uh, the, there are a few things that I remember. One is O-Face.
2: Yeah, that guy,
1: yeah. That guy with the O-Face. And then um, the TPS. I mean, I just remember knowing. Like, before they walked up, I was like, I think there's something about TPS. Yeah, reports.
2: yeah. Um, yeah,
1: and piece of flair.
2: Pieces of yeah, flair, yes.
1: Pieces of flair.
2: Uh, so, yeah. So, he doesn't go into work because he doesn't feel like it. He's, like, enjoying sleeping in and not caring. Um. He, shows up. he gets broken up with by his girlfriend. Yeah, doesn't care. Uh, he shows up on Monday. Everyone's like, what the heck? Where were you? Blah, blah, blah. There's these consultants there that are basically mm-hmm. cleaning house and yeah. interviewing all the employees to fire them, um, which is like this whole stressful thing in the office. He goes into his appointment and basically is very honest with them and is just like, I don't care about being here. I'm not motivated. So why am I going to work harder than I have to? Like I only work mm-hmm. as hard as I need to to not get fired because none right. of this matters. And they like think that's amazing. Love it. Yeah, they think he's they like, think he's
1: like the coolest guy,
2: management material, and all of this stuff. Um, and so he gets promoted, and his two friends get fired. There's like yes. this very famous scene of them breaking a uh, a printer. Right. A
1: printer, which has always stuck yeah. and always jams and always literally what working. I did
2: on my birthday with the break room. It was like... You like, did. I was, yeah. I was like, cool. Um, but that's like a scene that I remember seeing. Totally. I mean, it's very famous. Yeah.
1: yeah hugely famous. So... Uh, and as they're prepping to leave, um, he he's like, hey, we had this idea to basically siphon off fractions of a cent off of every transaction. Yeah,
2: because they round off through at this, some very... This bank. Like decimal, you know, far decimal yeah, point.
1: Yeah, tiny little decimal. And they decide to r- sort of reorient that into their own personal checking account, mm-hmm. uh, which they realize is illegal, but they're like, mm, it's, so- it's such small amounts that nobody's going to notice. Mad, and it's a right? way to stick it to the map. Yeah. yeah. They're mad. So, yeah, so they do that and they very quickly discover rut Row. It's siphoning off much faster than they intended. So what they thought would take like several years to make a bunch of money is like in a few days already $300,000. Which if anybody out here is hiring for jobs that in a few days will pay $300,000, we're available (laughs) and we're both doctors.
2: Yeah, very interested uh, in those opportunities. Uh, But there's also he pursues uh, this waitress Joanna played by Jennifer Aniston. So he, you can see at the beginning she's of the movie, great in this. Yeah, she's awesome. You can see in the beginning he's interested in her and is like, oh no, I can't go up to her. And then after he's hypnotized and doesn't really, he's not worried about things anymore. He goes right up to her, asks her out, and it kind of works out. They have a lot in common, and they start dating. And she, like you said before, is the voice of reason. Um, yeah,
1: when he says like, he has, he sort of tells her he's not supposed to tell anybody, but he tells her right off, like basically what's going on. with she's like, so you're stealing? And he's like, well, it's not really. Right. That and she's like, So it's money that's not yours, and you're taking it. Yeah. And he's like, It's not such a big deal. They have a weird well, her journey is that is she's a waitress at like a TGI Friday mm-hmm. style, like you know, corporate still like restaurant where they have to wear a certain amount of flair. She wears the minimum amount of flair, and her boss is always like, Look over there at that guy. He's wearing thirty-six pieces of flair, and you're wearing fifteen, and fifteen is the minimum. And she's like, fifteen's the requirement. If you want me to wear thirty-seven pieces of flair, change the requirement. And I'll wear 30s. And he's like, do you really want to do the bare minimum? And it's this whole debate, right? Which is, of course... It
2: mirrors this exact, you know, it's... it's,
1: This exact It's showing that it's
2: across industries. Uh, This is, like, a universal kind of issue. Um, Absolutely. And so, yeah, they kind of get into a little fight about it. And he kind of has this, like, reckoning where he decides to kind of come clean. He sees his friends are very upset about the predicament that he's put them in. Um, And so he kind of decides to come clean, uh, cashes out all of the money, writes a letter of confession, and slips it under Lundberg's door, his boss. His nightmare boss, yeah. Yeah. And is like, you know, I'm going to do the right thing. Um, I'm going to turn myself in. I'm
1: going to take the full blame for all of it.
2: Immediately regrets it, tries to get it back, and then is like, you know what? It is what it is.
1: He can't get it out from under the door. Although... Which of
2: the, which, of yeah. course, then in the
1: very next scene, you see, uh, "Have you seen my stapler?" Yeah. Which Milton. we mentioned at the intro. Milton, Milton uh, goes in to check on something, and the door's unlocked. Yeah, like I He know, could just I walk in, him. so he walks right in. He finds the letter and the the bag of money, mm-hmm. and leaves. And then, the next shot is the whole building is on fire. Yeah.
2: he does. It, Milton is very uh, jilted throughout this film, like constantly, constantly jilted undermine. throughout
1: constantly bu- bu- bullied i mean constantly they, they just, fire
2: him and stop paying him and never they, tell him
1: rather than tell him that he's fired they just stop sending him paychecks which is also like deeply i was so upset you
2: know, about him too, you know
1: like i don't know he's also really annoying like i actually appreciate that the last thing that happens is like you see him on vacation and like he's not suddenly cool he's still like being a nightmare even to the like waiter yeah. at the at the like resort that he's staying at, and the waiter's just like no, <laughs> like even in that. So I think he is like an annoying person.
2: Yeah, but he's, and
1: he should be treated better.
2: Yeah, I think did not deserve to be like pushed around like that. But anyways, um, the burning of the building, which Milton did right. That's,
1: yeah, we're, well, we're you're sort believe. of led to assume. So yeah,
2: he because I think in one of the he's always speaking under his breath, and I think. And one of them, he's like, I'm going to burn down the building. Like, I think he's, does he say that? I think he does say it at some point, like, yeah. offhandedly. Um,
1: and then it ends with Jack Berger working construction and, like, cleaning up yeah, with his the neighbor. place. Yeah, He has a new job yeah. and a new career. And he's,
2: like, happy because it's, like... And he's happy because yeah.
1: it's, like, you know, a job that he isn't micromanaged. And it's, like, work that he can, like, see and do and feels okay about. Yeah. Um, and that's the movie. And that's the movie. And
2: that's the movie.
1: And that's the movie. Okay, this has been another episode of <laughs> Real Psych. Like, subscribe, tell a friend. Yeah.
2: Um, no, yeah, I think as I mentioned in the intro, like this movie I think is so like relevant now. Um mm-hmm, with very. things like the Great Resignation, with like the pandemic yes. happening, with people really reevaluating, reprioritizing what matters to them. Um, and just
1: a new understanding of how central capitalism is to our entire culture and society.
2: Yeah. And it's an interesting thing being kind of specific to Western cultures, um, or even like the United States specifically, I think is just, like, specifically the United really States really bad in terms of career being the core of your identity.
1: Um, yes. this
2: is, not, I was like talking to, I think my sister about it. it was like this idea that especially for millennials. Like, we grew up in the age of, you know, we're told we can be anything we want to be. Like, shoot for the stars. There's, like, an overwhelm of opportunity to a fault, really, because we feel this pressure to choose the perfect thing because we can do anything. To choose the
1: perfect job because your job should be something you're passionate yeah, about. Yeah, exactly.
2: And I think that, that comes idea. From, from parents who have unrealized dreams and passions and stuff. So, you know, I, I think that kind of pressure and... Uh, journey that I mean I totally have done that too like trying to figure out what is the perfect thing what is my career and really centering my identity around that is what a lot of people in our generation has done and I think that's another big factor that's playing into this um, resignation I mean there's like 4 million people a month like last year were, were leaving their jobs
1: Totally. Well, and it's this weird thing, because like, we're so it's so fundamental that it's like, you should be passionate about your job. And then it becomes this thing where it's also like your job should be something you're passionate about, Mm -hmm. and you should be passionate about your job. And that then becomes like, how do I force myself to be passionate. So it's all of this, like, and there's a lot of memes and things that obviously most of you probably listening to this have seen even, you know, as much or if not more than us about this idea of like, our, our company's like a family.
2: Yeah. In a way that's like, yeah, Yeah.
1: the work culture being like, how do you give back to your company Mm -hmm. in a way that is, um, terrifying. Yeah. Like really, and they really play into this sort of like automaton, vibe in this thing like the the people in the movie where it's like hi in this is Clarice please hold <laughs> hi in this is Clarice please hold right. hi in this is Clarice please hold <laughs> like just that whole I don't remember her name or the you know I'm paraphrasing but like this thing of like she's just as chipper every single time yeah. but like it's, it's and it's about all the people that are the most miserable
2: yeah I mean in, in a way culture. like Pete is is more reflecting the millennial, like, point of view versus all yeah. the people around him who are like, yeah, we all hate our jobs, it's, like, fine, you know? Or he's like, no, this I'm not okay with that. Um, right,
1: well, and there's, like, three types of people. There's the, like, what do you mean? I love my job. Yeah. Despite whatever it is or any of the things and, like, just live in and buy into the company. Then there's the, like, yeah, of course I hate my job, but it's my job and I do it, so, like, that's fine. Yeah. And then there's the, like, pete which is like a total i hate my job and in fact what do i want to do i actually don't want to do anything i'd like to just sleep
2: which like he he has
1: no ambition i mean
2: to so that's not a personality trait in my opinion that's a symptom of burnout Mm. that is what i how i saw it newly like understanding burnout more
1: yeah, totally. Um, I mean, as somebody who really I think burnout is a personality trait of my own, you know, <laughs> I feel like I identify as burnt out. Um, no, I no, I, I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. I think it's a really nice example of burnout. Um, yeah, which like I don't even know that we were using the term burnout very much back in B and the D when this movie came out.
2: Totally. And there's like a you know, like, there's, like, occupational stress, which is something I'm going to talk about a little bit more. But, like, you know, that's kind of like a... You're you're overly thinking about your job and you're overly engaged, right? You can't disengage. But burnout is really, like, the level beyond that where you're disengaged. You cannot even, like, get yourself to engage with your, your work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's so... The, the nature of how companies do this, and I know... I mean, as somebody who works on a team of therapists, it's, it's a constant conversation, this like back and forth between like, the relationship between burnout and self care, but also like the nightmarish toxic dynamic that is like the solution to burnout shouldn't just be self care, it's care. Yeah, like it's like the company like the, the your solution to burnout is yourself, right. you are the solution, right. figure it out for yourself right. is also not like that leads that exacerbates burnout. Um, if you're the one who has to also cure your own ails. Um, and so like this nature of like understanding how companies should, uh, support their employees. But also I think like, just as a general, like, and again, I having transitioned from like a grad school into job, job, uh, like understanding that, like, there's also a point in which like, where, where do your boundaries exist with your work? Right. At what point are you saying to your boss? No, I've actually got enough tasks. I don't need more tasks. You're not, I don't, you, you may not give me more tasks. Totally. Like, at what point do you find that sort of I
2: honestly, balance? To be honest with you, I've not figured that out. So like Same, of school, course. Yeah. We're,
1: we're so early career, yeah, you and yeah. I.
2: Because grad school no, was like there is sense. no this is enough, right? That was not a thing. Yeah. It was your whole it life. It does not exist. It was your whole and there's
1: life. never Yeah. I mean in grad school exists as this like when I was your age, uphill both ways kind of yeah. attitude that the whole thing exists as like this sort of pseudo hazing experience. Totally, yeah and then in my you know and then with like clinical training i think a big part of what you're trying to do is get enough hours and really like double down and and because you're a trainee you're supposed to say thank you for every single opportunity that you're given despite the fact that you also are like doing work so it's one of those things where like you're being trained in how to do the work so therefore your your attitude is sort of expected to be grateful and happy and i will say like I was lucky in where I did my training and I am really grateful for the work I did. And I was very well supported. And also there's still a dynamic in, in any space. I think, I think where I worked did a really great job. And also like, there's a real dynamic of like, wait, where do I get to just be okay? And I, I was very well supported. I had a really rough, um, not just COVID wise, but, um, personally, uh, there was there was a lot of, tough things going on in 2020 for me and a lot of really hard times and I was really lucky that in the second half of my postdoc year my like meeting of like great where do you want to go how do you want to grow how do you want to develop and my my bosses really supported me when I was like I don't want to grow or develop for the next six months I'd like to just sit still yeah I'd like to not challenge myself beyond just being okay and just getting it done and then and for me, the growth edge in that was to trust that, like, if I was not doing enough, that I would be told before I was going to get fired. Yeah. But my, you know, we we're so taught that, like, enough means too much. Like, too much is the only way to do enough. Yeah. And that you have to be excelling and exceeding expectations rather than just meeting them. And so, like, for me, the goal was to be, like, I need to trust that, like, I can, that it's okay for me to only meet expectations. And my bosses were incredibly supportive yeah. of that. So I, like, I'm grateful for it. And also, like... That was after years and years and years of just pushing for very little money, like I was a postdoctoral fellow making fifty grand yeah. that year, which is like nuts, yeah, right. I had a doctorate, for how and many that was hours. and again, that is and the craziest thing is that's a pretty high paying postdoc.
2: yeah,
1: that is um, and also living in Los Angeles, not enough for like a full living wage. I had to go on uh, a game show in order to afford <laughs> my life,
2: yeah. I mean yeah. you know, I, I, I think that's totally I mean that's wonderful that you have that experience. But it's so true, like Yeah, I had great bosses. It needs to be okay to have fifteen pieces of flair. You know?
1: It needs to be okay to have fifteen pieces of flair. Um or it needs to be okay to average out as fifteen pieces. Maybe sometimes you have nineteen pieces and sometimes you have fourteen pieces or eleven pieces. Yeah. And and, and that there's a trust being and the balance
2: there exactly. That, you know. You're, you know, going to even out, right? Yeah. I think... Yes. There's a lot of... I mean, I think you've done more organizational psych than I have in terms of...
1: I mean, barely. barely, But yeah. I studied for one test for two (laughs) weeks that had some organizational stuff. But
2: this intrinsic motivation that... uh, Companies are obsessed with understanding. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot that
1: intrinsic motivation is so toxic. Like the idea that you must be intrinsically, internally motivated yeah. in order to be successful. There's to, so much judgment in how it.
2: How to uh, create a formula for that? Like, I mean, Maslow's yeah. hierarchy of needs, for example, is something yeah. that is so overused. I think as a term. Yeah, what's
1: what's Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Jim? Okay,
2: I. Don't have it up right now because there's five things. That's
1: okay. We can we can sort there's of summarize it. There's five things. Mm-hmm. The
2: base one is. It's
1: like a pyramid. Yes,
2: it's a pyramid, and they all you know, there's like a base level of. I think it's is it like physical safety or like psychological?
1: Yeah, it food shelter. Yeah. Um. You know, food shelter, Basic water, those needs. kinds of things. So
2: physiological needs, right? Mm-hmm. Safety needs. Um, mm-hmm. Which is like personal security, employment, resources, health, property. Love and belonging, so it's like sense yes. of connection. Then there's esteem, mm-hmm. which is like respect, uh, recognition, value, being ba- valued, and then self-actualization. So is the very pinnacle. The very pinnacle of, of it. Um, desire to become the most that one can be, right? And I think yeah. that's what companies are really wanting. That's where this like intrinsic motivation comes from, and there is yeah. a dependency on all of these other layers. To have, yes, you
1: cannot have a top layer without the layer underneath. And so
2: I think with COVID and the pandemic, physiological and safety needs, you know, these these base layers were in jeopardy, right? People were scared. Yeah. People were in a lot of ways. People were losing jobs. People were losing a lot, right? They were scared for their own health. And
1: we were scared of the police. We were scared of a lot of things. It's one of the few times that I've in my life, really felt nervous to be outside at night was during like a lot of the uprisings. And I don't say I felt unsafe to be uh, because of the people that were rising up. I felt unsafe because there were like armed police with like automatic weapons on yeah. the street. Like yeah. that was really scary to yeah. me. Yeah.
2: There was just so, so like, much yeah. going on. Um, So the person who termed uh, like the phrase, the great resignation is this organizational mm-hmm. psychologist named uh, Anthony Klotz from Texas okay. a And so there's a quote from him that I read that I thought was like, Yes, this makes sense. So, you know, we know that when human beings come into contact with death and illness in their lives and lack of safety, right, to your point. Yeah, um, yeah. It causes them to take a step back and ask uh, existential questions. Like, what gives me purpose and happiness in life? And does that match up with how I'm spending my time right now? Um, And so that is what often leads to life. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's a really, like, and we're, we're just seeing it at the front of every single thing we do. Fun fact that I learned actually about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, Maslow stole this from a Native Amer- um, Native American like cultural philosophy. Yeah. um, And it actually, and like really like westernized it and like capitalismized it Jeez. in a lot of ways. So it's actually supposed to, like the, the needs are actually really focused on like um, physical safety but like just a general like cultural support and acceptance and like a way in which like the yeah it's a much more um uh nuanced kind of thing rather than being like and once you check these boxes it's a much more holistic approach to like wellness that's actually um from native american philosophy
2: that is unfortunately and like
1: also like gerb okay you know totally the
2: way that maslow's hierarchy of needs has been commercialized and sold and
1: oh you know like a hundred percent
2: for that the connection right the team culture the company culture that connection piece of it to be so yeah like like, formulated and so calculated and like this is what equals connection this is what equals Uh, feeling like you're giving back to the community. This is what, right. This is what equals like being valued. Um, you know, this
1: is how we check that box. There's a lot of interesting things, you know, just like the nature of things like PTO paid time off. Yeah. Where some companies, particularly like a lot of newer tech companies, will do something called um, like unlimited PTO. Flex PTO. <laughs> flex PTO. So you can take as much time off as you need. Yeah. We really support you. We support your wellness. But the what's actually what we're finding is that um, as the data comes out more and more years of this kind of thing existing, that people with uh, flex PTO, unlimited PTO take far less yeah than people exactly. with a finite amount of pto because when you have a finite of, amount of pto it's very specifically like i have earned this time mm-hmm. off you will reward me for this time mm-hmm. off but when you have flex pto it's very like oh um well i mean you're allowed to take as much time as you want do you really feel like you can get everything done
2: yeah if and it's also like take that much time own, and so like it's really from your own perspective of feeling like to your point, deserving it. Right. Yes. Because PTO is normally something that you accrue with each paycheck. Right. Yes. So if you're not having that accrual, you're not seeing these numbers like I earned this time off. It may not feel if you're, you know, like a certain kind of person, like it may not feel like you deserve to take time off.
1: Um, Yeah. It's yeah, it's really well. And also a lot of these companies like um, a famous one uh, and we love them. And hopefully they'll one day, uh, be supporting us. Netflix is very famous in that like their sort of hiring policy is we will pay you top of market to do this job and if we feel like you are not meeting the standards of this job you will get a gorgeous severance package. Mm-hmm. Is like very much how they approach a lot of things so that sort of nature is great because people are really motivated to stay and work but then also uh, scared that if they don't stay and work and perform at top of market in order to deserve quote-unquote top of market pay um, and so it can lead to this sort of um negative feedback loop where you're always sort of spiraling into that. I mean, and these
2: these companies are also self-selecting people who are intense and high uh, achieving. Yeah. And so these people like are, they specifically screen for that. They want people who are those kinds of people who will push themselves and want to do well when they see other people Mm -hmm. doing well and kind of get competitive and you know, it's a really difficult thing because even if a company is trying to do the right thing, but they're still yeah. like self, like selecting people with those certain traits, you're going to get a competitive culture. And yeah, you know, like it, it's very hard to get that right.
1: It's very hard to get it right. I mean, it's also just that there's always this like antagonistic um sort of positioning between employer and empl- employee, even from the start of like salary negotiations, mm-hmm. right. Where it's like, and like we see some some things i think are really like some companies are really really generous with with salaries and things like that but like they have people whose job it is is to get you to the least amount of pay possible basically yeah. like who will um really lowball you uh in order to do so um and and that's i mean obviously that's not netflix's policy that's but that's other that's other companies of, that do a lot of transparency
2: things can again like culturally not allow people yeah. to confer with one another to make sure that they're being exactly and that's like a. and a then the people that
1: it and the people that it hurts the most are uh women and people of color right because we're they're trained not to um self-advocate in these 100%. spaces yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh i mean and this movie really does like it's it, it was a, a it's very like, like its
2: time kind of
1: It's ahead of its time, It's a and it was especially for such a zeitgeisty film, was really, like, naming a lot of things that uh, I think, and this was also the kind of, like, right at this era of, like, the end of this sort of, like, dot-com boom in, like, a way Mm. where it was, like, wait a second, like, these Gen X folks are starting to, like, yeah, of course they can get these jobs where, like, you know, they'll fully vest and have a crazy 401k by the time they're 50, which, like, millennials don't have that, Mm. Um, but you know, they are, it is sort of starting to see this like, wait a second. Yeah. This is not like, uh, I can work as, you know, two, two school teachers in, in a public school can afford, you know, a house and, and in two cars and to send both of their kids to college. Right. Like that, that is leaving. Yeah. And we're seeing that sort of culture of like, wait a minute, we're going to lay these two off and we're going to give you more work to yeah. do. Like as like the work culture of. Um good news, you're getting promoted. And by getting promoted, we just mean we're giving you the work of those people we just fired and we're not gonna pay you three times what you you know, we're we're gonna save money as a company. You're gonna do two point five times the amount of work, and we only have to pay maybe one point five, you know, employees basically right. by by doing that, right. which is, you know, dark and scary. And um it's a very antagonistic nature. Yeah. It's gross. Think- it's a yak for me. <laughs>
2: Although I realize, I mean, this is, I think, yeah, to your point specific about kind of the tech boom, uh, but I realize when I just said it's ahead of its time, I feel like maybe older generations are laughing at that because maybe this is like a very common kind of theme that's, uh, you know, like the 80s or like, you know.
1: The 80s. I mean, it is like a, I feel like, is this crazy? This is, I'm saying this with no foundational understanding of what I'm about to Mm -hmm. say and I'm going to say it anyways because it's our podcast. This is a safe space. It feels very Dilbert.
2: Yeah. Very like yeah.
1: blah corporate yeah. thing, which like also was very of the time, yeah. um, this, whole, this whole situation. Um,
2: I mean, I think too with like these kinds of jobs, like sitting all day and being in cubicles and like really the rise of that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a commentary on that. But anywho.
1: It's a commentary on that, but I do think like humans have never really gotten it right. You know, people are like, oh, we're not meant to be this, like, corporate culture. And, like, Henry Ford invented the 40-hour work week. Mm-hmm. And, like, all of these things that we have culturally are actually very, very new. Yeah. This idea of, like, a weekend was was really invented about 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, and and all of those things. And also, though, like, I don't think, like, 400 years ago when everybody's just, like, you know, dying of dysentery every five minutes. That that was, like, a great. That we had, like, figured it out. The, you know, the, the feudal systems And the monarchies and all of those things. It's like, I don't know. I I think economics, as soon as we invented property, it's all been downhill.
2: Yeah, I don't think anyone's, like, yearning for the old times.
1: Yeah, I mean, the two greatest inventions are, like, streaming video and prep. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Totally (laughs) agree.
1: Other than that, um, I did some research, too. Yeah, you did
2: fun stuff.
1: I did some fun stuff, and I'm actually really excited about it. So... Um a big theme in this and sort of the catalyst for a lot of this film is uh hypnosis Yes and for those who um are listening uh, at least but you know before I went to grad school, I had this idea that hypnosis is uh fake that it doesn't exist, it's not real it's a party trick um and I don't know wh- what do you know about hypnosis
2: that essentially I mean I know yeah it exists, right but I I am not clear on the data about it. I just know that there's like it's not well respected in just it's
1: not well respected yeah. but it's it's a it's a mixed bag right yeah. it's a lot there's a there's a mixed bag and this is very different than when we did ghostbusters and i talked about esp right. so hypnosis is actually predates uh the discipline of psychology mm-hmm. and um predates in a way that is uh, it has a long and storied history so actually the 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 sort of father of hypnosis is uh somebody named Franz A. Mesmer. So if you've heard the phrase, like, I've been mesmerized. Amazing. So mesmerism uh, is the practice that was invented by Mesmer. And so he tried to sort of explain these observed phenomena um, of this, like, state of peaceful sedation, but with a simultaneous ability to communicate. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of where a lot of his um, uh, focus was. And he sort of understood this in a way that he thought it could be sort of manipulated by magnetism. So the very, very first uh, like experiments of hypnosis were actually at the time referred to as animal magnetism. Mm. And so um, we would think about this now as like this sort of weird um, concentration verbal command methods. But what he would actually do is like uh, he would do something called magnetic sessions. So he would um, put things in a very organized environment. And he had this thing where he had a group of people sit around a big, bathtub that was connected to quote magnetic energy with iron tubes that they'd hold in their hands uh-huh. and he was able to essentially induce like group hypnosis in like a trance um, by doing these like commands and so um a lot of people now d- don't necessarily think that this is like a real energy You're transfer like, as much that? as like he used the the collective concentration to bring themselves into the state of um uh, this hypnotic state okay and so the so induced like feeling of depersonalization and trance uh, at the time was called crisis and was seen um, sort of as part of this therapeutic process in which the energy sort of floods the the organism and then can clear different symptoms. You can sort of take them out of their anxiety, their depression. Um, and so originally this um, this stuff was really started to seen as something that um, was maybe just there to treat um, hysteric. Uh, issues uh which for those who have been listening to this podcast anytime we use the word hysteric uh we are talking about old school diagnostic assumptions about women uh and so these hysterical episodes uh could be cured by uh hypnosis and it was very shortly after that somebody um uh was able to show that in fact lots of people ironically enough the um Beau and Bernheim uh, formed something called the School of Nancy, which to me, as uh, self-declared Nancy myself, <laughs> uh, I really enjoy, um, stated that everybody can actually be hypnotized and that the clinical hypnotic state is not just uh, because of uh, a psychological disorder like hysteria.
2: Wait, what time Freud, period was this? Mesmer?
1: Th- uh, Mesmer lived um, from 1734 to
2: 1815.
1: Oh, wow, okay, yeah. Old. Yeah. Old, 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 old. And so, anyways, so hypnosis, though, uh, was used by Freud in a lot of ways. But as modern medicine came in um, and different things, we started to find uh, hypnosis lost. uh, It went out of vogue in a lot of ways. Um, But prior to modern medicine um, and in the earliest forms of, like, surgery, hypnosis was one of the primary anesthetic techniques anesthetic techniques. So, um, and the reason I wanted to study this is because I actually had a professor in grad school um, who was my neuropsych professor who did all the brain structures work. Um, And I'm going to get into the brain structures of hypnosis in a minute. Uh, And I was always like, hypnosis is fake because one time somebody at a party like did like a fake, did a hypnosis thing. And I just went along with it and just pretended to be hypnotized. And I wasn't really hypnotized, but I like for sure claimed that I Mm. was. Um, in the moment. But then it was like years later. I was like, no, nah, I knew what I was doing. Um, anyways, this professor um was talking to us, and he said that one of his side jobs is he is a professional hypnotist. And I was already like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. And then he said, and and we were like, What does that mean? Who are you hypnotizing? And he said, his job is to go into surgery. And hypnotize people who are not able to receive anesthesia for lots of reasons, um, and so uh, he would hypnotize people, and then they could have surgery without anesthesia. And that, that worked. And
2: that because I'm thinking about the Scrubs episode where they like have uh, this this patient who needs surgery, and there's someone that they want to like undergo hypnosis so someone comes in and does that and there's this like, right. whole thing where the person is doing hypnosis and of course the patient like wakes up in the middle of it and is like, ah, you know, like screaming and then the hypnotist is freaking out everyone's freaking out. So they kind of like, <laughs> how it's been right. shown in media is like, it doesn't work.
1: Right. So it does, but it's very, it's very mixed. So um, hypnotic techniques are are used for anxiety. They're used for depression. Um, and they... also used for they, like
2: smoking cessation, like behavioral... Smoking
1: changes? cessation, yeah. behavioral changes. Yeah. And so these are used um, during the surgery, during a diagnostic procedure. Um, they're great for somebody who has, um, like medical conditions like sleep apnea um severe like pulmonary diseases right so anything that's going to slow down your lungs mm. if you are somebody where breathing is not great already um somebody who uh wants to avoid any drug induced uh ventilatory depressions basically um because by doing hypnosis you're not um you know you're not going into you're not actually affecting your lungs you're just going into your brain so um the in terms of the the changes of what's going on in the brain with hypnosis. Um, what they found are um, during while hypnotized, people have hyperfocused areas, particularly in the right frontal lobe, in contrast to um, the the rest of the brain, which is at that point what's called hypoperfused. Mm-hmm. So a lot of focus in this right frontal lobe, um, and then also showing um, psychophysiological changes that are observed in hypnotized people. Uh, where they're showing um, unspecific activation that is not like so sleep-like formations are actually like very specific mm-hmm. and, and that was what's assumed they're not seeing uh, specific activation like alpha, beta waves and things like that that you would see in, in sleep. Okay. So it's like this weird thing that's um, very similar to being awake but the right frontal right frontal temporal lobe is where it's like mainly focused.
2: Interesting. What is the, Isn't that like really the interpretation?
1: You tell me, brains.
2: <laughs> the frontotemporal, I mean, that's like involved in uh, higher the cognitive functioning, higher
1: cognitive functioning, executive functioning, yeah. organizational tasks, things like that. Um, so, what we're what we're finding is that um, there's no there's there are no severe side effects of clinical hypnosis um, that can be documented. There are some that say it would be important, um, you know, not to induce somebody into hypnosis if you think they have very high risk for or if they already have a pre-existing, like, psychotic disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, So bringing somebody into sort of a a hypnotic, um, imaginary kind of state where you're pulling them into a place where they may actually then go into a delusion or hallucination could be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it's this, like, sort of weirdly strange thing. And so, like, hypnosis has been hundreds and hundreds of years has been used for anesthesia, for pain management. Um, And they they found uh, in terms of hypnotic susceptibility, so that is varied. Not everybody has been shown to be susceptible to hypnotism. Um, And so people with low hypnotic ability um, probably would need uh, different things. But um, we are able to see that uh, hypnotic uh, susceptibility is a relatively stable trait which means that if you're susceptible as a child, you're very likely to be susceptible as an adult. Um, it seems to be heritable somewhat. Mm. Uh, so parents and kids, uh, it is genetically uh, passed downable. Um, and there is real evidence that shows that there is such a thing as like high quality hypnotic training. Interesting. And so the quality of your, like there are like, there is evidence that shows that people who claim hypnosis skills for and people who have like real certifications from like some like real- um, hypnotic sort of societies and things like that, that those who have like a really formal training in hypnosis do have much better outcomes. So
2: hypnosis is real. It sounds like hypnosis is real, uh, because some people are really good at learning how to do hypnosis and some people are really good at receiving hypnosis. Uh, and so there's just like a ton of individual differences, but this is, This is what you see in kind of everything, right? This is true in in Western medicine. This is true in things like meditation and mindfulness, pranayama, which is like this. uh, Yeah, this exercise. Yogic breathing. Breathing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's all of these different techniques. uh, Acupuncture, like kind of other yeah. There's a
1: lot of research on acupuncture and hypnosis, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the um, there are lots of people that have like um. There's lots of studies that are like old, 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 old. So there's tons and tons. Like I had to actually like really be selective because there's so many um, psych papers from like respected journals up into like the 1960s, Mm. like just hundreds of them that are about hypnosis as like uh, as a medical and psychological practice. And it's really lost favor as we've found these sort of like more um, tried and true methods. As we have a more pharmaceutical, yeah. I mean, it's a very pharmaceutical kind of thing, but it's really interesting the ways in which, um, you know, that, and that's what I, you know, when I talk about that professor, like when he was like, yes, yeah, so I have been hypnotizing people and talking with people who have like their back open on the table. There are also surgeries where like being asleep is not necessarily, uh, is counterintuitive where you kind of need to be awake to know sort of where they're at, particularly with brain surgeries, spinal surgeries, things like that, where they're like, okay, move, move this thing, right. do this thing. Cause they really want to check on you. And in some of them they'll do, um, Uh, different like spinal taps and uh, like uh, what's the epidurals Mm -hmm. and things like that to like numb you but not necessarily uh, put you to sleep but the anxiety of all of it is pretty wild I mean there's a lot of brain surgeries where you're expected to be awake during that and so like using this to manage some of that anxiety some of that stress can be um, really effective
2: but yeah uh, yeah I mean the, the brain surgery part is not just to make sure that you're well it's related to that but it's because everyone's right. brain structures are, you know, there's variation. And so if they're trying to target, I don't know. I think ours are the same. <laughs> if they're trying to target a specific area, they need to check that that's the right area.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a woman that uh, t- taught me when I was in, when I was working at the Semmel Institute in training at UCLA, the Semmel Institute for Neuroscience, and her job was to be the person in surgery sh- talking to the person getting surgery while the brain surgeon worked on their brain yeah. so that she could help them isolate exactly where to cut and where not to cut, which for those listening, like that job means she needed to be asking such specific questions that she knows the structure of the brain to the degree to which she could say like like such minute, like verbally asking somebody something to know what part of their brain is lighting up. Y'all, that is one of the most unbelievably con- complex Yeah, cognitive things that you can do just to know the brain well enough. It would be like asking somebody who's like in the kitchen, like what not even like what kinds of things they smell. It's like somebody is, is trying to find something in your kitchen in the dark. And you ask them to describe an episode of Friends and you can tell them whether they would go like right, left, upside down. Like that is, it is that level of like complicated where like, yeah, she, she put it really nicely where, um, I may have said this on the podcast cause it just really stuck with me where she was like, there's a big difference between looking at somebody and saying, okay, um, showing a picture of a flamingo and being like, what is this? And having somebody who's like looking at you and they're like, can't name it and they can't name it and they can't name it. And then you say, okay, can you name a pink bird for me? And they'll say, yeah, flamingo. Yeah. Because the visual recognition is separate from the auditory question, is separate from the like, yeah, it's like knowing the word and saying the word and spelling the word and, you know, identifying the word are all, and then seeing a picture and assigning it to the word are all completely separate brain functions. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, hypnosis though, totally real, Um, not effective on everybody, but effective. Yeah. A completely valid thing. Now, hypnosis is not to say cluck like a chicken every time you do it. Right. It's not. It's, it's not, not as good checks. as we see in like cartoons and sitcoms and all of those things. But to isolate somebody's uh, focus so that their actual like nerve pathways can be blocked is real. And so for things like chronic pain, like a non, uh, you know, opioid solution to chronic pain, and and self hypnosis is something that people can do as well. Um, these are really really. Uh, healthy, safe strategies for people to be trying to learn about. And it may not work for everyone, but it does work for some people. And anybody that then are taking like, you know, then avoiding narcotics where and when possible is huge and is so important. Um, and because hypnosis, while it is, and let's be real, Mesmer is sort of the the famous one who started really studying it there's a lot of hypnosis back in India for way, way, way longer. Oh, yeah. Um, these kinds of trances. Psych- there are psychedelic experiences that one can have purely through suggestion, ra- not through just psychopharmological means. So um, you can really take yourself. And this is kind of related to what we talked about, even with like when we talked about schizophrenia and how like if you think about this in terms of like an imagination spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. There are ways in which you can uh, learn and focus and hone your mind in different directions that are... Um, well beyond what we're really able to fully understand, but um, but very possible and cool and weird and magical and strange.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's this idea of, like, you are, like, you are what you perceive.
1: Yeah. You know. Allegory of the cave, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, everything we're looking at is just weird light waves reflected back on some strange movie screen in the back of our eyeballs. Yeah,
2: in the occipital lobe.
1: And upside down and yep. backwards. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that is cool. I I mean, that leads into kind of what I looked into from a brain imaging neurological point of view. Yeah, yeah. I looked at brain changes in people who have occupational stress and burnout and what that looks Woof. like. Um, so you looked at kind of ways in which to relieve <laughs> pain and suffering. Yeah. And I looked at what does that pain and suffering kind of look like. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of studies that show uh, that chronic occupational stress uh, is, can make changes in the brain that are similar to PTSD, the changes that PTSD makes in the brain. Um, And there's no kind of acute traumatic episode that is causing this. It's kind of this prolonged uh, job-related stress. And um, there are like certain... Behavioral studies that looked at uh stressed sub subjects versus non stressed kind of control subjects and they are less capable of down regulating negative emotion.
1: Um, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah,
2: and that's uh
1: I mean burnout. <laughs> like right. they can you just can't even
2: can't. um and you have a, a greater response to this thing called acoustics turtle response. So that's just like you're in a study you Hear a loud, sudden noise, you'll have like a more exaggerated response. Um, right. But th- I mean,
1: he's, he's actually very acoustically sensitive in this movie. Like the, the radio and then, this is
2: clear. Yeah, it's yeah. That's true. They like
1: all of those things. He actually has a lot of like that's auditory so true. stress. That's a
2: really good point. Um, but so there's also like they looked at certain brain structures um, and connectivity between structures. And so the connectivity refers to the Communication between certain parts of the brain. Um, and so mm-hmm. changes there mean there's changes in the communication between those structures. So um the amygdala and uh the prefrontal cortex, uh mm-hmm. there's also the anterior cingulate cortex that are involved. So the connectivity between the amygdala and the anterior cingulate cortex is correlated with the ability to downregulate your negative emotion. Um, right. The amygdala is, as we've talked about, like involved in yeah. stress, threat, detection. Um, yeah, you
1: know, fear yeah. Mm. Hmm.
2: And um, the prefrontal cortex is involved in higher executive functioning, decision-making, um, but it's also involved in the kind of emotional uh, part of the brain in terms of an inhibitory function. So the okay. prefrontal yeah. cortex has kind of a... a Like opposite relationship with places like the amygdala, which is part of something called the limbic system, which is uh, responsible for kind of emotional uh, processing in the Mm -hmm. brain. And so the normal kind of um, connectivity between these two parts of the brain is that um, increased prefrontal activity reduces amygdala activity because you're able to downregulate your emotion. Yeah. And so that
1: it's like a reaction versus response, right? Reaction being instinctual instinctual. Yeah. Versus how do I response? It would be your executive function of like, no, how do I want to respond in this versus the knee jerk. So the more, the more thought you have about it, the more access you have to thought about how you want to react, uh, the less reactive you are. So
2: there, um, our studies looking at the structural, um, volume of the, the brain and there it shows that stressed patients or you know people with chronic occupational stress have uh, thinner uh prefrontal cor- cortex uh cortices. cortices uh and so not only are they having fewer neurons right like literally fewer neurons the connection between that and the amygdala is weaker and so okay there's really showing this inability to like regulate your emotion as well um and there are structural and functional changes so not only is like your brain looks different but it also functions differently and communicates differently um and it shows that there's actually even uh impairments in this part of the brain called the caudate uh and so caudate nucleus yeah caudate putamen thalamus this is like this part of the brain That's involved in, um, well, the caudate specifically in kind of fine motor control. Um, Okay. So. (laughs) Mine's terrible. So with increasing uh, chronic occupational stress, you actually have impaired fine motor control. Um, And they did that, like, with this, this, like, uh, task, like a pegboard task where you have to, like, put these Mm -hmm. pegs in a board. Oh, totally. In a specific order. It's such a nightmare task. And so people who have chronic occupational stress perform worse on this task than people who don't. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting that there's really, like, impairments in this prefrontal space. And you're talking about hypnosis, which is yeah. activating that prefrontal space. Um, yeah. So I don't know. There, there could be some connection there.
1: I bet there is, yeah. I'm also even just thinking about, like, you mentioned, like, this chronic stress. And we've talked a lot on this. Um, on this podcast about things like borderline personality disorder and the foundation and the formation of these kinds of things, which often is like uh prolonged, consistent, like childhood stress, mm-hmm. right. In a way that shows that so you have this very like reactive um, response style. Yeah. Uh, and so I want, like, I feel like this is all tied and connected in terms of like um, not necessarily capital T trauma, but all of these small ways in which you're always just scared yeah. and just tired mm-hmm. uh, and overwhelmed and uncertain and, and shaky yeah. and so the ways in which that leads to yeah I, I mean that i think that must be um you know i can't say that with certainty but that's a that's a theory that one could test in a, a somebody probably has let's be real i don't, can't imagine that i have a single original idea but um <laughs>
2: uh i mean yeah, yeah and so you're talking about this was a system that was in place like these these studies by the way are from 2013 2014 2015 so this is pre-pandemic studies so, you know, the way that corporate oh culture was, the capitalism business uh, was... The capitalism the business. Capitalism business uh, Who do you work
1: for? Capitalism.
2: <laughs> is showing occupational stress having this real impact on people's brains. And then you add a pandemic on top of that. And yeah. people, like, it makes sense why that would just push people over the edge to burnout. Woof. Yeah. So... Dang. This movie was actually like a lot deeper than <laughs> I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's definitely was always talking about kind of serious things in a, like a lighthearted kind of way. It was social commentary, but totally. there's a lot of data and psychology that really support that this is like a super accurate or like, you know, real thing.
1: Yeah. Super accurate. I mean, really naming, uh, a problem that we're that is just so constantly highlighted yeah. in uh in our in our current sort of understanding i mean we really have a, just a very different view of office work yeah now yeah. then um yeah it's which also like there's a lot of classism in that there's a lot of uh. like oh you got you can't just have a an office, Like, in a way, this does sort of also lean into the idea that, like, those who are comfortable in that are gross, sad lemmings and are less valuable than um, this smart, straight, white guy who could see
2: Yeah, the I Matrix. mean, he's called out a little bit uh, on that. I'm just like, you're yeah. selfish and stupid. But... Yeah, you're... I, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, too, that, like, uh, this is becoming more talked about now. Like, when this movie came out, I yeah. was like, yeah, this is, you know, totally... And now so funny. and now it's like becoming more talked about. The great resignation as this very dramatic uh yeah. like thing that's going on. And what does that mean? It means like, uh oh, employers are losing employees. How do we retain them? That is why this is getting yeah. buzz and press and attention is because yeah. companies are uh hurting. Not because they're people hurting. Are hurting, I mean because companies are hurting.
1: Yeah, and the the amount that we need to pay people, I mean, everything is just so expensive. And then people act like, what, you think somebody at McDonald's should make more than $8 an hour? And it's like, yeah, why do you hate people at McDonald's? Like, why are you mad at... Even actually, one of the things I loved about a lot of this stuff was like, McDonald's actually came out when they talked about like a federal minimum wage of like $13 or something like that. And McDonald's was like, no, we could do that. It would raise the price of a Big Mac by like nine cents. And still, McDonald's very publicly yeah, was like, no, no, that that would be that'd fine, actually be yeah. fine,
2: but that would be even fine. Even like a fifteen dollar minimum wage is still like I think forty two thousand dollars a year, like you right.
1: Know,
2: that's not you know.
1: No, you can't. Yeah, you cannot afford to like do that, so raise a why kid, are we acting like
2: and what, like you know,
1: go yeah, to college crazy. or pay your rent or any of those things. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Anywho, well, we we solved capitalism we today, and you know. That's great news. If we are
2: never heard from and, again. Uh, you know, you know, maybe what if we're never
1: heard from again because we fixed it. I mean, great time to also mention, you know, please like and subscribe and rate and review so we can get monetized. Yes, so we can get some ads. I would on this love podcast to
2: do that. I would love to be part of the problem that is the solution.
1: Listen, we live in a capitalist world, and therefore. Until the world is fixed, I gotta operate as one in a lot of yeah. ways, um, because I got bills. I
2: got bills, and man. they're not just
1: gonna give me. I'm not just gonna get to live in this house for free. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure.
2: I'm just a cop My student man. loans I'm don't cog- seem to be going machine. anywhere.
1: I'm just saying, it's not like me pausing is gonna stop the machine. So I'm gonna, you know, do what I gotta do. But also, like, would I will continue to vote for socialists? So one
2: hundred
1: percent. Yeah, and I will give my capitalist money to socialists to change this system uh but until then i'd also like to uh, be comfortable within it
2: (laughs) yep that's where we we leave you
1: there there's where we go with our own burnout (laughs) it's like uh, i'm just burnt out in a way where just give me funds please well i have been dr jd barton i have
2: been dr joanna witkin
1: we love you, and we would love if you would rate, review, subscribe. Please tell a friend. We really are every week gaining more and more people, very slowly, and so we're getting so close uh, to being able to pay an editor because, y'all, this audio game is—it's
2: because we love you. Is that we want you it's to have an auditory experience? And, yeah. Um, yeah. We need, we yeah.
1: We do not have a a listener's corner today where notably we have not organized ourselves in order to put that together. So it is not here for you this week. It will be here for you next week. So please send us your continuing comments uh, and we will be reading them out loud. We will be playing your audios um, at Real Psych on Instagram. Bye. Bye.